Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Over three quarters of consumers say that receiving personalized communications was a key factor in prompting a consideration of a brand in every industry. And 78% said content made them more likely to repurchase. But simply putting a name on an email or targeting a sales message based on recent purchases is no longer enough. Financial institutions and customers want to engage in a way that exhibits empathy, that is timely and contextual, and most of all, creates a value exchange. We are fortunate to have John Thomas of Relay Network back in the Banking Transform podcast. John discusses why companies that excel at creating great customer engagement, generate rates of revenue faster than any of their peers. So welcome back to the show, John. So it's been a while since we last had you on. Can you share a little bit about what you've done since we last talked? Yeah, it's great to be uh, back here today with you, Jim. has been a while. Um, So since we last talked, I retired from banking and big corporate life. Um, My plan was to go fishing, Jim. Um, and then uh, Relay uh, Network approached me. It's it's a great company. It was a company that I was a client of. It's a space I care deeply about, which is interaction management. Uh, so now I'm the chief um, uh, strategy officer for a SaaS company in the engagement space. You know, as I mentioned in my intro, consumers don't want personalization. They demand it. And at a level far beyond what normally is being provided by financial institutions, you know, beyond basic personalization, they expect content to be timely, to be contextual, and to show that their organization knows them, understands them, and rewards them with solutions that will improve their daily financial wherewithal, their wellness. So why is building an insight-first organization so important? for financial institutions and their customers. And what do you expect from banks and credit unions that may be different from two to five years ago? Yeah, it's it's, it's a great question, um, Jim. If I think about sort of the arc of personalization and content delivery and banking over the last, uh, let's say, two to 10 years, you know, personalization expectations in society have gone well beyond sort of this campaign-based product selling personalization that we see so much of in the marketplace. And that's really where banks started in the personalization journey. And I would argue, Jim, it's still pretty early stage for most financial institutions and truly personalizing individual experiences. The reality is that phrase of personalized individual experience is sort of code for personalized offers and marketing uh, still today. So, you know, back to the expectation question, you know, I, th- I think there's a lot that banks can do in that CX, UX sort of total experience space. You know, it's a space that's getting a lot of press right now, this total, this TX, total experience or the CX plus employee experience space. It's not a new idea. It's been around for a long time. It's just got a, a, a new name. Um, but I think, you know, there's an expectation from society that if I'm talking to somebody at your company, like arm that person with the information to make my experience better too. Like don't just sell me, you know, sort of the right thing today. So I think I think informing, uh, you know, the insights-driven organizations of today really need to inform the front line 
much more than than they traditionally have. You know what's interesting is while many financial institutions talk about using content to build a better experience, most organizations globally still consider themselves rather inept at being able to use data even to drive the most basic levels of engagement. And that's that's far, as you mentioned, far more than simply driving the sales message. It's really trying to, to build a conversational relationship. You know, we discussed the last time you were on the show that organizations have to try to build a math- mathematical asymmetry between tech and banking. Why is this, if you don't do it, a threat to traditional banking? Yeah, you know, this asymmetry concept is is one I spent a lot of time on in, in my banking years, right? So if you step back and you look at the best, you know, in your question, you talked about using data to drive like basic levels of engagement, right? So the best a lot of, of us would concede some of the best data companies in the world are the big tech companies, right? That we that we do business with every day. And those companies have this asymmetry around their multiples on their equities and around their margins, right? So they trade on growth multiples and not on earnings multiples. So that means they can make these really long-term decisions. Like they don't really care that much about tomorrow's earnings. Uh, but when they do care about earnings, you know, if you're a big tech company running data-driven engagement in an app store or a marketplace or, or maybe in a search business, your business is operating on 1,500 to 4,000 basis points, right? And then in banks, you know, we operate on maybe two to 200 basis points. And that's the asymmetry I talk about. For, for some reason, banks and the consultancies that serve them, Jim, seem more focused on what I call the Silicon Valley speak in the engagement space, like agile and failing fast and the art of the pivot. And they're sort of not paying attention to the macro force that leads to that different motion in tech and that different decision-making process in tech that's very, very long-term. So I've been arguing for years, Jim, that you know to really understand beyond the dev motion difference between banking and tech, there's a little bit of Sun Tzu at work here. Like you got to know the enemy and you got to know yourself a little better than you do. That's really important in competing if you're a bank competing with tech, you know, particularly big tech. I don't know that my comments apply as much to fintech, Jim. Well, it's interesting too, because if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Relay Network really builds the content management structure to be able to communicate with customers and prospects better through multiple channels. What's also interesting is I understand it, more and more institutions, and you referenced it earlier, are real realizing that employees have to be part of this equation. It's not just, you know, a marketing effort. It's a communication effort that, that really impacts every channel. So how do you put this asymmetry that we just discussed to make it better at a financial institution? Well, you know, it's there's a, there's a third form of asymmetry that I've been watching in the marketplace. Um, you know, we, we talked right before the show, I've been bouncing between technology and banking for some number of years. And over the last decade, you know, I've, I've seen that earnings multiple asymmetry, the margin asymmetry, but there's also interface asymmetry between banks and tech companies that right. work in the marketplace. We didn't talk about it last time I was on the show, but it's something I've written about inside of large banks quite a bit over the years. Big tech has gone beyond websites and transactional apps. And most are now operating in feeds and scrolls, whether it's Meta's Facebook or Google's YouTube or TikTok, like whatever your thing or things uh, are. So 
people today, Jim, consume content on their phones with their forefinger or their thumb moving up and down, right? They don't really consume it in web tabs and hamburger menus anymore, right, in, in right. apps. So this, this behavioral pattern of the feed and the scroll is by far the dominant behavioral pattern on smartphones today, and banks don't have that interface, right? Banking is still working on excellence in websites and transactional apps, maybe sprinkling in a little bit in the voice space, but they're by and large doing nothing in the feed and scroll interface, but big tech has realized that's where content consumption happens. And it really has been that way for the last five or 10 years. How does Relay help a financial institution achieve this? Well, I think, you know, there, there's a couple of things um, at work here. You know, one of the first things we have to do is sort of help banks first understand that that interface asymmetry and sort of why they should care about it, right? Because it's not actually top of mind to most banks, right? Again, they're thinking about their apps or thinking about their websites as they should. So let me just throw some stats at you, Jim, and they're pretty compelling stats. And this is, so the first step we do to help the banks is understand, like, you're you're not actually playing in the interface your, your customers um, enjoy the most. Globally, 88% of smartphone users use feeds and scrolls. In the U.S., well, we've got 335 million, 340 million pe- people in the U.S., 302 million of them use feeds and scrolls. So in the U.S., it's almost 100% penetration like of age. So deep, deep penetration in this space. And then the second thing is you look at the usage stats. Like the average American use, uses seven different feeds a month. Um, daily usage is measured in hours, not minutes. There's no group over the age of 25 in the U.S. that doesn't use this interface at least 55 minutes a day. No group. That includes mom and grandpa and great aunt Tilly, right? There's no group. And then there's a massive influence on buying behavior. There's a whole bunch of stats, Jim, in the the feed format that are compelling. But here's the one that really sort of shakes me awake and, and the banks awake. In 2022, ad spending and feeds became larger than ad spending in all paid search marketing combined. Just think about that sentence. Think about that sentence. Now, there's a reason that's happening, right, in feeds. It's because that's where everybody is in, in, in today's world, right? So, so what we do at Relay is sort of help banks understand first this format and the dynamics of the format. Now, we would never suggest placing ads in a B2C um, uh, feed, but what we do uh, Jim, is we've taken that feed and that scroll format in the digital space, and we built the first B2C platform to use that. So what we help our banks do is really modernize uh, part of their digital fabric and footprint. You know, it, it, it'd be interesting. You gave some stats and figures. I'm not too sure if I want to review my stats and figures on how much I have bought because of an insertion in Instagram. I mean, I, I'm a, a big Instagram user. I have multiple platforms there for business and personal. But also, I'm realizing that my listening devices, be it my Alexa device or my Siri device or my phone, whatever, it is always on to the degree where I, I mentioned something and it just seems to pop up. But it's for my benefit. Yeah, it's a little scary at times. But the reality is, if you can move me down the purchase funnel, 
from the perspective that I was at least interested in it beforehand, I'm better off. And, and you know, this all makes all kinds of neat sense, especially you and I both have a, a marketing mind, either forefront or background. And, and the reality is this all makes sense. It makes sense, especially for banking to use all the data they have, despite losing a lot of the payments data they used to have. But when, you know, you're joining your sales team to visit a financial institution, what gets in the way of saying yes? Why does an organization not say, sign me up, sign me up today, I need to do this? Yeah, there's, there, there's a couple of things, you know, and I'll call it the early minutes or early hours uh, uh, of the chat. Um, you know, one is, is you know, inertia and momentum inside of large companies, right? It, it's There's a channel infrastructure inside of all of our banking clients that's uh, it's big, you know, it's hopefully profitable um, for them. It's not low cost. And they've got to rationalize the cost either on the margin or these large fixed cost bases of that channel infrastructure all day, every day. So one of the things that, that, that can get in the way is this concept of like, I've got A, B, C, D, E, and F in my channel infrastructure. I'm spending hundreds of millions or billions or tens of billions in some cases um, across that infrastructure. I don't feel like I need something else, right? So there, there's a little bit of that. The second thing that can get in the way, and, and we talked about it a lot last time we were together, is, is the fear of using data. And the, and the bank's fear of being able to operationalize data. Because um, this has been a, a long and difficult journey uh, for most of our banking clients and certainly for most of your listeners. Um, how we get them past that, that. So that's sort of what they bring into the room. And, and, and when I was a banker, it's what I brought into the room a lot of days too, right? Uh, when I was talking to SaaS companies, how we get them past that, Jim, is, is a couple of ways one is to help them understand, I talked earlier about the stats, but understand, hey, there's these more modern content formats. Um, they're well, they're, it's a well-worn path. Your customers are there every day. One, we can bring that format to you in a pretty low cost, fixed cost manner, like way beyond like what you're used to doing. Two, that's gonna free your content delivery up at your company where you don't have to ROI every interaction like you do today, because whether it's a marketing channel, a campaign, digital ad placement, you know, the, your call center, your branch system, you, 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 you're in a world where you have to ROI every one of those interactions. So you have all this content. A lot of our clients have a massive amount of content, Jim, that's not landing anywhere because they can't ROI justify in a marketing campaign landing that content because there might not be a conversion at the end of that particular and, and customers can't find it anyway. Exactly. exactly. They're not searching, <laughs> They're searching for, for it. Hey, none of it I'm that. not looking, even though I need to know it, you know, if I'm getting into, like, say, credit trouble, I'm not looking to my bank to say, we're on the website. Can I find out about how I resolve my problem? You want the bank to come to you and be the concierge to give you that solution before you raised your hand and said, I have a problem. That that's so true, right? We're not we're not looking through those web tabs proactively. We're not we're not plowing through the hamburger menus and the apps, but we're also not snacking on content in our email inboxes. We start stopped on that years and years and years ago. Yeah. Right. And that's such a big content delivery channel for our bank clients today. So your question about how do we help them 
understand the interface, change the economic equation for them so we can liberate a whole bunch of content um, that they, they largely already have in a lot of cases, take that ROI hurdle uh, away, but then, you know, really importantly, um, allow them to stand it up in a way that their current data state of being can support, right? The, you know, the reality is um, all of our banking credit union clients, Jim, have some kind of a, a triggers layer, a segmentation schema to feed campaigns, a, a CRM platform, some MarTech stack or data or ad tech stack. And a lot of, you know, your question, how do we help them and how do we help them get started is just help them understand how to use us as another endpoint for what they've already got while they're sort of on that journey, maybe fixing and improving what they've got. Boy, that that is such a key element. We talk about this often that, you know, most financial institutions do not leverage their partners as much as they can. You know, they say, I'd love to use you, but I got to wait till my data is perfect. Well, you've been on the financial services side and on the vendor side, and you realize that ain't never going to happen. Right. And the reality is an excuse that most solution providers, now most partners, third-party providers, can solve for. In other words, if your data is not perfect, we can use data in the way you have it to still bring you solutions that will bring you a positive ROI. So, you know, that's no longer a good excuse. You know, another challenge I see too, John, is that so many organizations find out what I'm going to call the boogeyman of solutions. In other words, they bring to you the, yeah, but what if this happens? What if I break this privacy regulation? What ends up happening? And I get them all the time from my financial institution partners. I get communication from them that is so filled. It's filled with more disclaimers than claimers. It is rough around the edges where they're not really saying anything because they're afraid of saying too much. And the reality is we view marketing and communications in such a an old-fashioned style. And unfortunately, you know, you've been up against it. Most leadership, top leadership at financial institutions don't communicate or engage the way most consumers do. So what happens is we all put our own, you know, our own mask on and say, yeah, but I don't ever look at those things. Well, you know, it goes back to the old, you know, way we used to do marketing anyway, is saying, you know, you got to look at the way the consumer does it, the way the, the leadership of the financial institution does it. How do you get over that risk hurdle, that risk hurdle of saying, geez, but if I communicate this specifically about this solution, the world's going to blow up? Yeah, great, great question. Not. Yeah, and, and it's one we get in every sales cycle, like 100% of the time. Um, so it really, Jim, our three verticals are uh, banking and credit unions, uh, healthcare and insurance, health insurance, and specialty biopharma. So we operate in the three most regulated businesses exactly. in, in, in North America. So not just our banks give us that question, um, but we're very big in the Blue Cross Blue Shield space. And as I mentioned, pharmaceuticals. And so we have to operate under HIPAA requirements. Um, so this, this, this risk and this privacy element to our clients is absolute table stakes for them to buy any kind of external communication platform whatsoever. Like it, it, it and, and that's where deals can go to die. Right. We're, we're, we're one of the only companies um, that's high trust certified. That's a healthcare uh, certification in the privacy sort of HIPAA space. 
Um, uh, we have direct um, connections um, with the telco and mobile infrastructure in the U.S. So the the TCPA certifications and uh, express consent uh, risk management is at the absolute core of what we do. Like we don't have a business without that because we deliver everything. Um, uh, through the mobile phone, not not in an app, Jim. That's the difference between our solution and and, and um, feed solutions in the in the consumer space. B, you know, nobody's going to download a B to C feed app. Like that's not going to happen. So what we do is we we ring the consumer's doorbell, so to speak, through SMS text. But then you, that text brings you right into your personalized feed, right? So there's a lot of regulatory compliance, legal things that have to happen um, uh, through that motion. So your question of like, how do you get through that 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 risk uh, conversation? We're very transparent with our clients and, our, and we spend a lot of time with our clients' compliance groups and, and legal groups inside of their companies. And I certainly went through this when I bought the solution when I was at a big bank uh, as well. We share with them our processes, our, the certifications we've got, the protections. And the other thing we do, Jim, is we don't collect a lot of data from our clients. Like we let the, the client keep the data. First of all, it's hard for them to move it. And secondly, you know, they get squirmy when they move uh, big parts right. of data. So we've got a solution that requires very little data movement uh, to operate. And that brings that risk profile that you referenced way down. Well, it's interesting, too, because really what what could be the end result is not a legal issue, but in some cases, an embarrassment issue. It, it's embarrassing when when my doctor communicates with me about something that wasn't exactly right. But to know he's trying and know he's within the ball field, you, you get patience. It's not a legal issue. And the challenge is for organizations to realize if you're looking for a perfect world with the perfect solution at the perfect time and everything else, number one, it won't exist. And number two, you won't do anything. You get caught in that whole circle of, of confusion. You know, as you're looking at, you know, we're in an economic time of uncertainty, certainly. Um, as you're looking at how organizations should invest in, and I'm not going to even call it marketing, in communication and engagement, how do they or how should they prioritize working with a company like Relay Networks to be able to say, here's how we should do things and here's to the level we should do things. We talked about before the, the discussion we've had on the podcast here, the issue around, geez, you don't have to buy it all at once. How, do you, how, how would you, as a banker, prioritize investment in these kind of communications? Yeah, um, there's a couple lenses I always put on it um, when I was inside of banking, uh, Jim, as an executive in the industry. <clears throat> one was, and you alluded to it a, a minute ago, priority one is to be where your customers are and be in the format that your customers prefer, right? So, so you have to embrace that concept that my channel interaction fabric may be really good and really resilient and really performant and, and lots of great but it's probably incomplete in today's day and age in terms of where my my the people I serve like to consume content. So first you got to prioritize like this sort of format destination space. The second thing, you know, and, and we talked about this last time we were together, like never priority, never prioritize building it. Buy it. <laughs> like do not yeah. build this stuff. Buy it, right? Um, but buy it in 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 a motion that allows you as the bank 
to sort of manage down that risk profile, but also manage down the financial investment and sort of the amount of belief you need to have in these new channels, you know, in early days and early months, right, of, of these new formats. And we think we've we've got a really nice solution in solving that, that economic challenge uh, for the banks because, you know, your prioritization question, like, you know, you get into these ROI calculations in every single initiative inside of a bank, right? And that racking and stacking and prioritization exercise, you know, it has two dynamics at most banks, one, maybe a third, one, um, ROI. Two, there's a, usually a strategic overlay, like you've got a belief in, in moving in a direction. You know, ROI almost always trumps that. Or three, in some cases, we have to do it for regulatory or compliance uh, yep. concerns, yep. right? You want to make your decisions up in one and two and, and spend as little time in, in three. So I think, you know, the prioritization question is, hey, there are, there are interfaces that tech is using with my consumers, there are interfaces my consumers are using all day, every day. I don't have it. How do I look at an ROI uh, and a low cost of entry solution to sort of get into that space? And then, then, then the question that always sits behind that at banks, right, Jim, is, okay, let's buy the economic thesis of this, this, this additive channel in my channel fabric. How am I going to use it? Like what are the you you know what are the use cases or what are the what are the problems I can solve with this new solution and and that's really where the big successes come with our clients and where the bigger ROI calculations come. You know, you just brought two interesting points. Number one, scalability. So we feel that scale and speed um, are two important items here. So if I'm going to work with Relay Network. Can I buy a what I'm going to call a partial solution? In other words, not buy everything you offer, but offer it maybe on specific channels or with specific product lines. Can I can I buy something pared down that will be able to be implemented fast and at scale? Yes, and let me and let me explain uh, uh, on how some of our clients do that and sort of when they buy, you know. I'll call it the partial answer, Jim, to your question. Like, how do they achieve success inside of that 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 envelope? So, you know, I mentioned earlier we're, we're the first company that took that feed format in the BDC communications. Right, we ring the consumer's doorbell through SMS, text to the mobile phone. It brings them into a personalized branded feed. So, your bank. It's your. It's it's Jim's feed at Jim's bank is the actual experience inside of this thing. So now, if you think about just feeds and scrolls, there's almost an infinite number of uses to your question of like partial versus buying the whole enchilada, where a lot of our clients in banking start, and we, and we actually see the same behavior in healthcare too, Jim, is they start with onboarding. Our clients have found that a personalized feed-based onboarding journey um, as opposed to, I'll call it an episodic email onboarding yep. journey, right? Which we, we've all experienced, works very well for them. And they see very substantial lifts across a number of dimensions, Jim, in, in that solution. Deposit account funding in new accounts, debit and credit card activation rates on new accounts, spend and usage early days, weeks, months on book, uh, direct deposit enrollment, mobile app download, mobile check deposit. You, you know, so when when our clients come to us and they're like, "Hey, I really have this onboarding problem. I'm not really landing it through email. 
it feels really disjointed help. That's, I'll call it, you know, a partial solution that we've had a lot of success with. They've also found, um, some of our clients have found that the feed platform is a great way to land some of this deep content they have in their hero products. We see this in the card space in particular, Jim. So if you think about maybe the cards in your wallet, the cards in my wallet, there's a lot of these hero sort of travel and rewards products in the marketplace. And there's a lot to that. We might buy it for the 100,000 miles or, or, or this thing or, or, or this airline currency or whatever. But there's so much in those hero products that sort of goes unlanded. So we're seeing some clients say, hey, I, I've got, in some cases, a billion dollar investment, right, in my hero card product. And nobody knows what's behind it. Right. So they'll they'll use a feed as a great way to talk about, um, uh, you know, sort of all the other stuff, the travel benefits, you know, the details of reward program, the safety features, enrollment and ancillary or partner benefits, lounge access, car rental clubs, things like that. So that's another partial implementation that, that, that we'll see. And then a, a third one we're starting to see more and more of, Jim, is. Most of our clients have some advice or assistance or financial education content in their library. Yep. And they're really having a difficult time landing it, either because they can't ROI justify like push marketing campaigns around that content because there's not a conversion behind it. And they're finding that a, a partial solution that allows them to free up that content in a low cost, fixed cost feed really solves that problem. Uh, you know, there's a couple of banks out there, you know, they won't name names, but that have immense financial education libraries sitting in web portals, yeah. right? right. right? Yep. So, so, yep. so those are a few examples to your question of like partial solution. You know, if I just want to sort of wade into the space but not do everything all at once, onboarding, hero product feeds, uh, financial education. We see a lot in loan application pull through too, Jim, with right, rubber right. bank clients that started there. What, what they all have in common though is over time, success begets success inside a bank. So really good at math, right? And it starts working here and then they're, they're quick to syndicate a lot of usages in, in year one and, and into year two and year three with us. It's interesting because it really gets down to measurement. You know, we, 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 we have to get away as an industry, as marketing, as communications, as IT, whatever it may be, from looking at everything on a, a sales and a product sales perspective. Because, you know, the onboarding thing, a lot of that is around is, are my customers actually going to use the product they opened? Are they actually going to build a relationship that's big enough that will stand the test of time when there's other people continually coming at them trying to get their business? You know, that that is not a, I, I've told many people, you can't measure onboarding from a product sales perspective. It's an engagement and it's a loyalty perspective, which is a long play. Secondly, you talked about the utilization of, of these hero products. American Express does it so well, where they continually reinforce why you have that freaking card that has a fee on it. Right. Um, you know, thirdly, it's a compliance issue to a degree, because if you can show that you're really promoting financial wellness, the sales will come because what happens is, you know, and many institutions don't realize this, your portfolio of wellness solutions, wellness content will drive sales because you're going to just innately 
show them that you're actually showing empathy and are their side as opposed to just trying to sell the next product. And, you know, most organizations today are doing a terrible job of measuring relationship retention as opposed to product retention. So, you know, we, I do this, a thing when I speak, I ask everybody, how many of you have changed your primary financial institution in the last five years? Personally, nobody. I ask how many have opened a brand new financial product in the last two years, but not at a primary financial institution? Virtually everybody. Yep. Those are lost relationships or losing relationships. This is where these communications come in. So, you know, we were talking about the successes out there, John, and how everything is, how these solutions, how these communications, how content can be used to, to provide better experiences, greater engagement, and, and certainly revenue. When we look at this, you know, overall, what stands in the way of progress from not a standpoint of buying it, which we talked earlier about, but actually using it? You know, we see so many of these solutions that get bought, but then don't get de deployed the way that they are intended to be deployed. What hurdles do you see in that success? It feels like data is always number one, um, you know, in banking with, with so many different uh, engagement, MarTech, ad tech, communication uh, uh, type of buys um, uh, or, or, or banks feel like they, they get that first use case right and they really struggle from a data and insights perspective to sort of syndicate that in the use cases two, three, four, and five, right? So, you know, that that's pretty common across the industry. And I've certainly experienced uh, that in my time in and out of the industry. I think, you know, what's, what's helpful, that question of like what stands in the way of progress, I think um, when when banks think about some of these modern interfaces that that are either out there in the market in a big way like feeds and then some that are that are that are emerging, um, I think it's useful to to think about their journey in two ways. One is, you know, there's there's a body of work around modernizing my interface with the data I have right today and the data I can operationalize, and then two. I'm already on a journey to improve my data and insights prowess over time, and and I'll I'll use that prowess in these new interfaces down the road. But I don't have to solve for all of that on day one. To the question of what stands in the way, so often I've seen bank executives try to be perfect um, uh, right out of the gate and, and, and you gotta be perfect and you're perfect on regulatory and compliance, reputational issues. Like that's a price of admission right. in the industry, yeah. but you really don't, um, on, on the data side. So, so I think, you know, to, for banks to get out of their way to the question, like, how do I get out of the way to, to having success? Start easy, start with your existing triggers layer or your CRM platform, or if you got some kind of recommendation engine or an insights engine or a campaign engine, like start there, start there and embrace this concept that I'm going to modernize my interfaces a little bit. And it's an and in the interface, Jim, it's, it's, it's not an or. Right. And then, and then find providers. And this is one of the big things relay does in the feed space, find providers that can help you with intelligence specific to that channel, right? So we have a lot of data on how people use B2C feeds, right? Not, we're the only company that's got that database. So little things like understanding what time of day, what day of week, the sequencing of messaging, you know, we can, 
we can help our, our clients there. So start simple, get out of your own way, like don't seek perfection. Um, and, and, and simple in the, in, in the space I operate in, Jim, can be as easy as treating feed interfaces as a new campaign endpoint in whatever you're doing today. Like that's so simple for our clients to do. So, you know, what Relay does, I understand it, it, it not just deploys this against the digital feeds, but also can deploy it in a, a data democratization way across the entire organization so that employees can use this as well. So that really the employees just become another channel to reinforce a message that may have been said. How important is that going to be in banking going forward? I mean, how important is it going to be that everybody in an organization can engage me in something that they know is pertinent to where I am today as a customer? I, I, I think it's so critical, right? Like arming the front line in a way that the front line can digest is just such a criti- critical success factor. You know, at the last bank I was at, Jim, it, it, it's I, I mentioned earlier, like success begets success in banking quite often. When something works... There's always a drive to do more of it and use it in more ways. You know, we 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 stood up uh, at my last bank uh, feed technology in late 2019, and we knew what happened right after that. Right, early 2020, the world sort of blows up, and your question of like, how can can we arm employees across an organization to sort of manage some of this stuff? We actually dropped the feed capability into our branch system. So when COVID forced us to shut down the branches and go to drive through for a while, we had the ability for our employees to have a conversation through a drive through window with a customer and then send something to their feed as they were driving away from the drive through So maybe, Jim, you went, maybe you brought your a paper check to the drive through because you couldn't walk in the branch anymore. And, uh, and and I said, hey, Jim, do you know, you know, through your app, you can take a picture of this check and deposit it. Like if you don't want to get in the car, or come here or, you know, whatever. And then as you're driving away, the employee could send you a video, a how-to video on how to use mobile deposit capture. That's just one example, Jim, of how companies and banks can sort of arm that employee base uh, more and more around uh, some of these experiences, and we're and, and and another interesting thing to your question has begun to happen in the last six months with some of our clients across industries. We've had some really big clients say, "You know what? This is working great with our customers. Can I use this to talk to my own employee base?" Right? Oh yeah. We have customers that 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 have you know over a hundred thousand employees. Right. We have some customers that may have 50,000 customers. We have other customers at the top end that have massive employee bases. And they're looking at how well this this platform works, saying, I think I want to start talking to my employees using this technology, training, you know, uh, communication blast, the ability to sort of surgically see who, who, who sees what. So, you know, that that employee communication space maybe something in our future, Jim, and we're thinking that through right now, but at the end of the day, all these use cases we've talked about, it's just talking to people at the end of the day, right? It's just interacting with people. And sometimes those people might be customers and sometimes those people might be your employees and your teams. You know, it's interesting here, John, to talk about both the consumer or customer base as well as the employee base. What 
targeted communication, what targeted engagement does is to build trust. And, and that sounds really soft, and you maybe can't put an ROI against that. But if I'm leaving an auto teller and somebody tells me, by the way, what you just did can be done in an easier way that will save you time and money, you know, you, and you do that enough, the person can say, okay, I'll try it. Or if an employee does something, and they, you can tell by the way they manage their, their process that they're struggling. And you give them away, and maybe it's simply around benefits, retirement benefits, things that the organization offers. It's hard to touch 400 employees, let alone 40,000 or 100,000 employees with the same messages. But that builds trust that you, are, again, are working on their behalf, which is so much more important today than it's ever been. And achievable because of the digital assets that we have as well to technology. You know, John, you're a legacy banking banker with decades of experience. What practical advice would you give our audience on how to realistically get started and, and the next step for interaction interface as it relates to Relay Network? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things from a practical advice perspective. One, don't think rip and replace. What, what we're doing with our clients across banking, credit unions, healthcare, um, is we're an additive channel. Um, so I think the best way to get started and think about this, Jim, is look at a B2C feed uh, platform in the, sh- in the short run as a way to fight that interface asymmetry. You know, big tech's been using it with your customers for 10 years. And modernize your digital footprints and have that, that interface sit alongside your app and in, in, in your web portals, right? So think in terms of digital fabric expansion is, is the first piece of advice uh, I'd give folks. The second is, is what I touched on earlier. I think from a practical perspective, use whatever triggers CRM, segmentation, campaign, MarTech platform you're using today and just, and, and just treat this new interface as a, as a new endpoint. Our clients have found that's very, very easy to do from a practical perspective. I would also offer... Uh, banks the advice that there are other emerging interfaces, Jim, that we we haven't talked about um, today. Um, if if you go back over the last half decade, you know, virtual assistants and voice interfaces has been a lot happening in in, in banking and other industries. There, you know, I, I think banks have maybe misunderstood that space. You know, the war there is still hardware ubiquity. That's why the Natural language processing software hasn't really, like you, you mentioned some of your devices earlier. I, I use those same ones. The NLP is really not improving much because it's still kind of a hardware war in that space, but that will change. And I think that's part of a broader trend that we'll see in life, and, it, and it'll move in the banking in some format on, on what I call ambient interfaces, Jim. Yep. Right. So I think you're going to see more and more ambient content delivery in the future, that's not just screen-based, but you know whether it's smart cars, smart cities, smart homes, the way experiences and content reaches is, is going to be different in a 5G ambient interface world than just like you know th- th- this thing, right? The, the, the mobile right. device. And I think banks practically need to step back and learn a little bit from their journey in virtual and in, in the virtual uh, voice in the virtual assistant space, Jim, where there was something that got way out over their skis in early days, made really, really big investments. Um, they know what really happened <laughs> with those investments. Right. 
um, inside. So, you know, the other piece of practical advice I'd say, understand these emerging interfaces in, in smart homes, smart cars, smart cities, smart offices. Smart uh, chat. A chat, voice, virtual assistants differently than you've looked at them in the past. And I think that's going to reduce unnecessary or wasteful investments in the emerging space, but it will also help the banks reframe their conversations with the big tech companies driving those technologies. The reality is, in some of these emerging interfaces, so now I'm off feeds, Jim, I think practically banks didn't understand where the language tech really was, banking transactions require compound commands almost universally, like compound sentences. And NLP really can't deal with compound sentences still in, in 2023. So understanding some of those big things from a practical perspective, I think is going to keep you from overspending in some spaces you shouldn't be in while you're underspending in some of these other interfaces that you should have been in probably five or seven years ago. You know, finally, as Chief Strategy Officer Relay Network, what is on your personal and, and business to-do list in 2023 with regards to delivering a better engaging experience at financial institutions? Yeah, it's a great question, Jim. It's, it's like my list of things that make me jump out of bed in the morning, right? Not make me just sort of roll out of bed. What makes me jump out of bed in 2023? Um, the first thing is, is one of the topics we touched on. I really think it's important to spread the word on interface evolution. I do think the banking industry has been a little bit slow, sort of post-mobile phone adoption to really understand where digital interfaces have gone over the last 10 years. So there's a bit of an evangelical uh, to do uh, around, you know, because I think banks play a really important role that trusted institutional role in society. We need banks to stay in that role. I don't think we should see that uh, to big tech. So that's my first to do. The second is I really want to get more educational assistance content out in the world to the people who need it, Jim. I just, I, every stat you look at in America, the percentage of people who can't save, who are living paycheck to paycheck, who can't handle any kind of disruption in their life, these people really need assistance. It is a very large percentage of the American population. And I want to see that content get to the people in a way that they want to access it. That's my second to do is around assistance and education. And then lastly, you know, I, I want to help banks in their in their journey journey and personalizing experiences beyond offers. Society is so desperate, Jim, for that. I, I'm laughing because, you know, it's been the underlying theme throughout this whole thing that it's not just about selling shit. Yeah. Sorry, but yeah. It's so true. And I want to see more actual personalized experiences out there between banking and the community they serve that go way beyond those offers. And, and the reason I want to see that is, is I know banks want to help people live better and easier lives. They're just stuck in this ROI trap in their existing channels. So, you know, I want my children served by a banking community that really does personalize their experiences, not just the stuff they sell today. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because the sales will come. The problem is if you drive it from sales, you're actually losing trust instead of gaining trust, especially in a world where the consumer now knows how much you know about them. 
So if you're simply saying, if this, then that, customer's going to go, you aren't listening. I got to find somebody who does. And sometimes that may just be the marketing message a firm puts out there first, and maybe they're going to be no better at it. But we've got to get better at it. You, you talk about it with regard to financial education. You talk about it with regard to looking at people that may have some some challenges with regard to to savings or, or credit. And, and to be able to find those cues and help them. But to actually ask that second level question. You know, we, I talked about once before the fact that when the PPP benefits came out to consumers, you know, a lot of people decided to forego their mortgage payment. Now, in half the cases, and I'm just making up the percentages, but in half the cases, because person couldn't make the mortgage payment. In another case, they're saying, I'd rather defer the payment and build up my savings. Those are two vastly different people that had the same activity. We've got to ask that second level question to get that to the core of that. So, you know, John, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Always enjoy getting together with you. And, and it, it's, it's, it's a fun experience. It's been great to be here again with you today, Jim. Thank, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform. Rate is a top five banking podcast and winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to give our show some love in form of a positive review. Finally, be sure to catch the recent articles I'm writing for the financial brand and the research we're doing for the digital banking report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Will Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Remember, building engagement is not only a crucial capability, it's one that punches far above its weight, no matter what type or size of organization you work for. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.